Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special Captain America The Winter Soldier spoiler podcast. Over the next hour or so we'll be discussing Marvel's latest movie in which Captain America, played by Chris Evans of course, faces off against a threat from his past while battling a conspiracy within S.H.I.E.L.D. in extraordinary depth. For this one has perhaps more than any other Phase 2 movies thus far has huge ramifications the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Needless to say, as ever, this is hugely spoilerific. We'll be discussing all the movie's revelations, third act stuff, and all. Uh, so if you haven't yet seen Cap 2, highly to your nearest cinema, rectify that immediately, and then come back here for oral pleasure. Uh, joining me to natter on about it are Helen O'Hara. Hello. And Ali Plum. Good hello. Good there, so you can actually distinguish which one's Helen. Yes, me. And which one's Ali. Her. Helen. Ali. Ali. Okay. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the latest outing for Steve Rogers and his amazing friends, let's hear from the two men who directed the movie, Anthony and Joe Russo, making a return to the big screen after a decade or so spent directing the likes of Rest of Development and Community on the Small, popped into the pod booth recently to talk about major upheaval at S.H.I.E.L.D., talking computers, and much, much more. So, congratulations, guys. You have succeeded where Hydra failed and you have brought down S.H.I.E.L.D., Thank you. How does that feel? Feels fantastic. <laughs> I mean, listen, it was great. You know, it's great to have a film like this that has something so uh, uh, dramatic uh, at the end of it, uh, such a dramatic shift in the uh, in the MCU. Uh, it creates a lot of energy and attention around the movie, but also it was great. Uh, it was great for storytelling. Absolutely. Was that always the plan when you came on board? Or yeah, yeah. that was in place before we got involved with the project. There was an excellent script, mm. uh, uh, which was really uh, uh, such a gift. Uh, Marcus McAfee wrote a great script. Kevin had a lot of really strong ideas he wanted in there. Uh, um, you know, we did do a lot of work with the guys once we got on board. We had about uh, eight months mm-hmm. uh, to polish the script. Came up with a lot of the action set pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, brought a the Palma esque influence mm-hmm. to some of the tension moments. Uh, so we were able to work out all that stuff together. But they, you know, uh, that is the way that Kevin operates. He's got big ideas that he likes to see in the film. And he just says, listen, go go crazy. Just Let's just make sure that at the end of the shield is, is no longer. <laughs> so um, so as, uh, as, as guys who are very, very closely associated with uh, several TV shows, including obviously Arrested Development and Community, uh, did it, I don't know, give you a sort of perverse pleasure knowing that you would be effectively torpedoing another TV show, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., with what you were doing on this one? Is that your plan to take out the rivals one by one <laughs> as, you, as you go along? It wasn't our plan, but we were... Uh we, we were uh, anxious about it the first time we showed the movie because, you know, Mar- Marvel's very secretive. So, you know, you, you sort of, everything's kind of on a need-to-know basis. So the, when the moment finally came where the cast and writers of the show needed to see that what was happening in this movie and they saw an edit, uh, there was sort of an ashen kind of uh, effect <laughs> on everybody at the end of the screening <laughs> in terms of uh, maybe they're thinking about their futures. But, yeah. Holy How shit, they're out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. How much yeah. like Marvel is S.H.I.E.L.D.? It's it's loosely loosely based on Marvel. Loosely, there's a there's a red dot in your chest. (laughs) My heart just explodes. Is Jenny Agatha alive? Is she alive? Yes, she's alive. Yeah. It was very funny because we, we talked about that. We were like, well, is the, is the audience going to think that they killed her and that Scarlet carved her face off? Are they going to, you know, what, what are they, what are they going to think happened here? But, you know, clearly we tried to set her up earlier as that she was you know, vaguely benevolent. Yeah. Uh, as benevolent <laughs> as somebody on the WSC could be, so that maybe that was the inroad into her characters they felt they could get to her and that she would play ball we, we probably should have included her though somewhere at the end so people knew we had talked sure, about remember yeah, we talked yeah. about putting her in the uh, you know there's a scene with scarlet where she's yeah. talking to the uh, 
the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and um, uh, uh, we talked about putting her in that scene so you knew that she was, you know, sitting near Scarlet or something, you know, <laughs> part of the testimony or something. And then we're like, oh, you know, let, let people argue. About it. Have you considered <laughs> maybe having a post, 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 post credit sting? So maybe <laughs> after yes. the film is finished, then there's 15 minutes of blackness, there, and then yeah. there may be time to add one more. Jenny, <laughs> I could having a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we did bring in a rep from the Guinness Book of World Records. We were really we were trying to uh, uh, break the record for most endings in a film. <laughs> I think I think we have seven endings. I think uh, the Return of the King still got you. Okay, got it does. Okay, that was eleven endings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> roughly in that ballpark. Uh, there, there are so many things that you do in this movie. Um, were you associated, I guess, with the uh, uh, the 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 the, the main post credit sting, or was that Joss? With uh, that was Joss. I mean, that was you know that was exclusively Joss. He wrote it. He shot it. Those are characters that you know yeah. are in the Avengers. That was mm-hmm. basically the very beginning of that narrative. And they were all in London, and you know it was just very. Uh, but that's the way. Honestly, that's what we love about uh, the you know working at Marvel is this interconnectedness between all these really cool writers and directors and you know, people handing off ideas and you know. Uh, he was he was very uh, complimentary when he saw the movie Joss mm. and, and very supportive, uh, uh, you know. And I think uh, I think he loved the two three five aspect ratio. And I think they're you know that's, the, I think they're going to use that now on uh, on Avengers too. So it's, it's wow. great because everybody has sort of a give and take and you know with each other. There were several you know rumors on the internet that basically just worth ignoring. But one was that Robert Redford's character was going to be a bad guy. No, no, no. That he was going to be <laughs> yeah right. Red Skull. Red Skull, yeah. Now, when you saw those, did you think, hang on, we actually considered that, or was it just pish? Well, this, you know, the tonal approach that we took to this movie was we wanted to, you know, for many reasons, uh, you know, our jumping off point for it was, you know, what is special about Captain America? And it's like he doesn't fly across the sky like Iron Man. He doesn't turn into a green monster like Hulk. he, He doesn't come from another world like Thor. He's a guy, only maybe a little more so. So we wanted to come up with a style that kind of that suited him and celebrated him, and that was very different from um, where he started in the '40s, where that first movie kicked him off. Though it did it very well, it's just he's in a different place now. So we we came up with, um, we, you know, we wanted to do a, a, a realism approach to a superhero movie to the degree that you can. Part of our like we part of our sort of creative process is we like combining incongruous ideas, like uh, <laughs> you know, like you see that in Arrested Development with like sort of absurdism. Uh, an absurdist world, you know, shot in a mockumentary style. Yeah, and similarly yeah. here, you know, what's what what does it mean to do a realistic version of a superhero movie? So, um I forgot where I was going with all this. What was your question? <laughs> Red Skull. Red Skull. Red so Skull. here's how we here's how we never cross paths with Red Skull on this movie. Uh because because we were trying to do a more grounded approach, we sort of took as much all the sci-fi elements off the table as we could. We tried to draw upon more real world <laughs> influences and inspiration which is why we put zola in a computer because we felt that people would really that there was no sci-fi in it. um the uh and that was a big problem that scene actually for months on this movie we probably okay. just finished that scene two weeks ago really in the edit room finally did the final draft of what zola actually said it maybe changed 30 or 40 times yeah but uh you know because you are you're in you're in this you're in this uh, espionage slash paranoid thriller uh, uh, that is grounded and it's shot verite in his handheld cameras, and you know it's it, Cap feels more real world, and then suddenly 
the movie screeches too halt when you you know you switch gears really quickly into a, a guy you know a ghost in the machine mm. uh, a character in a computer in a in a basement you know but it's a very grounded guy in a computer yeah, in a, yeah <laughs> they're very old computers computer yeah. but yeah. imagine if you had Red Skull at the end of the film. you know like yeah. I think I feel like Zola takes a leap of faith on the audience's part they're like wait a minute we're shifting genres really quickly here what's going on and if it turned out to be Skull I think it w- would have gotten it might have jumped the rails at the end of the um, movie. did I hear a I know I did I think. A War Games reference there. There's yeah. a War Games. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that from you? Was that in the script? Yeah, that was uh, that was it, us and Marcus wasn't in the original feeling. Yeah. I think we wrote that joke literally five minutes before we shot it. <laughs> Sometimes you're shooting a scene and you get the sense that it's playing a little dry or a little straight. Yeah. And you go, oh, you know, and and also we we felt like let's invite the audience in on what this is. They'll get a War Games reference and then then they'll understand. That the scene is a talking computer, mm. right? Oh, we've seen yeah. this before in movies, right? <laughs> so if if we're refer if if we're ironic or you know self referential, mm. uh, uh, you know uh, maybe it's a way we can earn uh, uh, some trust from them as far as uh, you know the, the execution of this. But at the end of the day, I mean, look, the movie is you know the, there's a sci fi nature to it. To it uh, it's inescapable because you're dealing with a guy who was born as a ninety pound weakling, turned into a super soldier, and then frozen for seventy years. So you know, it's just where do you lie on the spectrum? You know, where where are you on the spectrum? And on that spectrum, we wanted to try to stay sort of to one side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to say, um, I'm I'm fully on board with the decision not to have Pierce become the Red Skull okay. at the end of the movie. I, I was kind of willing at him not to whip off his okay. face, right. and, you know, because right. you guys do go so far down that road of of setting up. You know, you have the lift sequence, which is phenomenal, right. and it does feel like a very, like you say, a very very grounded version. Of a superhero movie, right, right from right from the off, um, and uh, and Pierce is a really really good villain because he's completely and utterly human, mm-hmm. and an almost in in some ways weirdly relatable. Right, yeah. that's what we it tried was, to do with him. I mean, listen, the whole you know the movie, the whole NSA stuff went down after we started rolling cameras on the movie, but you know we wanted to rip stuff from the headlines, and these are the things we obsess about every day. I'm on Dig and Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and CNN, and you know I'm reading this news every day and absorbing these things, going. Well, shit, these are my anxieties about the world. Or, you know, what do we do with uh, 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 protecting ourselves? And But at the same time, how do we, you know, uh, um, how, how do we draw a line in the sand uh, uh, in respect to our civil liberties and, mm. you know, preemptive strikes? And, yeah. You know, so is there a way to protect ourselves humanely? Becoming a, a, ever complicated. Uh, so it was important for us that you relate to Pierce's point of view because what he's saying is, is, uh, for us, some sort of philosophical extrapolation of where we're headed. Yeah, you know. So we wanted you to go, holy shit! That that well, you know, that's not in a hundred years. Maybe that's not so far fetched. Mm. It's, it's funny you say you make this movie, start making this movie, then the NSA thing happens. I'm just hoping you know, halfway through Avengers two, a giant robot right doesn't <laughs> crash onto <laughs> Earth and start wreaking havoc. <laughs> um, going back to you saying that you wrote the War Games line just five minutes before, mm-hmm. did you? Is there a chance that you wrote the Stephen Strange reference when it slipped in five minutes before, or was that in the script? <laughs> that was always no, in. That, that was in early. That was right? in early draft. Oh, no, well, I we think put it was it in, in, in the, the room. room. Oh, here was. I feel like it was in, and then it was out, and then it was in. No, do you, no. Do you remember when we were working on the script? He didn't have that speech that well. We created right. that scene when we were trying to figure out a way that. You know, we we didn't want Zola to give them everything. We wanted Zola to give them enough that they then had to go to someone else and mm. actually, you know, actively do something to get the rest of the information. But I remember, you know, we're, we are comic book geeks. I've been collecting since I was 10. And I remember trying to throw references into that speech. And one of them was Stephen Strange. 
And it sat there, because I love Dr. Strange, and it sat there forever. And it was in the edit forever. And I kept thinking, Kevin is going to come to us one day and he's going to go, you can't put Stephen Strange. Like, we haven't even introduced him yet. So I remember we're sitting on the mix stage, and I started to feel guilty. And I said to Kevin, I said, are you sure you want us to keep that Stephen Strange reference in the movie? It's the first time we talked about the reference. And he said, fuck yeah, why not? Uh, he goes, <laughs> so people don't know when in the, time, you know, in the timeline when he gets introduced. We, yeah, he could have yeah. been introduced already. And, you know, so when the movie comes out, you know, the movie could take place. You know, a year or two before this. So, if yeah. he were to be introduced, if he, if were, he to were to be introduced, yes, so. we, yeah, mm. wonder if he will be at some point. I'm curious, I, but uh, I've got a similar thought with the Bruce Banner thing because because yeah. we've got to talk about Nick Fury, don't we? Um, yes, for a number of reasons. How did he pick his sunglasses? All that sort of thing. But right. when that that reference of the pulse, yes, deepening thing, I I feel like that's a very clever interconnection that we've been talking mm. about earlier. Well, again, was that your idea or was that a script thing? That was no, that was in the script. That was Marcus and McFeely's idea. Yeah. I think that was Fury stuff. It's so hard. There's so many iterations of the script. It's hard to remember when when all this stuff came in. But that was definitely Marcus and McFeely's idea. But that was something I think that came up after a couple of rewrites. Okay, yeah. and again, the references to Tony Stark and the the repulsor. Right. Uh, engines on the on the that helicopters. Was in. That was yeah. that's a, that's a lovely little touch. But um, was Fury always meant to rise from the grave, Lazarus ask? As far I mean, again, when we entered the process, yeah, that was that was already in the script. So I don't, I never heard that it. You know, it, I never heard the history of how they got there. It's, yeah. So as far as we know, it was always supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. Someone, maybe not in Captain America 3, has to die. Yes, yeah, somewhere yeah. at some point. Eventually. So look at contracts are going to be up soon. There might be a lot. Pierce of, is dead. There might be a yeah. lot of dead characters. In yeah. I think Sam Jackson signed for about 47 movies. So I think <laughs> he right. might be okay, but uh, <laughs> yeah. there might be some other ones. Uh, uh, no, I think he, 2050. was. Uh, they just changed the contract. <laughs> it's still 2050. There are some... Uh, Interesting setups, obviously, for Captain America three, which has been announced yep. for two years hence. So it's you got to yeah, clock's well, ticking. You got to get on it, guys. We're sweating, um, we're sweating it. Where are you right now with that with that movie? We've had a lot we're of discussions here, not working on it. <laughs> I'm so Thanks sorry. Guys. Okay, <laughs> we had a lot of discussions with Marcus and McFeely. It would come up on set every now and then. You know, every, everybody has a general sense of the direction that we want to move in. Uh, um, you know, and the most that we can say about it at this point is clearly when you see this film. Uh, Bucky's story is not finished, right? Mm. This is a, it's an introduction to Bucky's story. Uh, um, so so uh, uh, if you want to guess at what that movie could be about, it would, you could assume that uh, there would be a continuation of Bucky's story. I, I would lo- I've got to, I'm a huge community fan, and I've got to ask, did Danny beg? Was he like, I need to be in this movie. Please let me be in this movie. Uh, you know what? I think we begged him. Uh, it was a. It was one of the things where it just felt. Look, we love Easter eggs, right? So we love. I mean, you know, Redford opens the fridge. There's. Mm, a, don't give him a. Oh, I gotta give that one. That's a fun one. What's the fun? It's of like Easter a Newman, Newman's own dressing in there. You know, it's like little. You know, the gravestone at the end of the movie. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. like to put. You know, you can see from Arrested Development community, we like layers. I love that when somebody watches the movie for the second or third time, they go, oh, my God, I've never seen that before. That is that is really interesting, or you know. Mm. And so it was a nod to uh, to all the fans, and, you know, Abed likes to make cameos. Uh, so we figured, uh, you know, it would <laughs> he, was be... in, he was in a bottle episode within that yes. office. Yeah. It would be very meta. <laughs> so are you saying that, that is actually Abed? You know what, I, we, we, we hadn't that. officially... <laughs> Decided that, but you know, knowing Dan, he may uh, he may find uh, a way to use it. Uh, yeah, so, I'm sure he'll uh, watch he'll watch the film yeah. and then he'll lose his mind. Yeah, oh, so there'll be a crossover with Kick Puncher. 
Yeah, community right. is actually taking place in the Marvel universe. Which, That's correct. Which, uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, that just blows my mind to uh, to bits. <laughs> but there, there are other amazing Easter eggs. Did you guys take a, a lot of care over the, the the inside sequence? For example, we see Stark Tower, which indicates right. that Tony is on yes. the hit list, as you imagine he would be. But uh, <laughs> did you throw in any other little fun things that maybe I didn't spot because it's very very quick? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of references in the film, and we forgot about them when we were working on the movie. You just you, know, you, you kind of forget about them because they. <laughs> Hopefully they're working for the storytelling. You're like, oh, we need that. That's not really a reference. But then people watch the film and they go, oh, my God, uh, Tony Stark gets name-dropped, Banner gets name-dropped, Stephen Strange. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of little gags, and I think we just forget about them. I have to watch the movie and then point them out. There's a big reference to Captain America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quite early on. We really rode that one as far as we could. Yeah. But you know what you do is you cut your design team loose. You, your prop master, your mm-hmm. your set decorators, you just say... Put shit in there. Think yeah. of anything fun yeah. that you can think of and throw it in there. For example, William Sadler's president from Iron Man 3, yeah. uh, President Ellis, Ellis yep. named after Warren, I presume. But yeah. his name is given a first name in this movie, Matthew. Yes, Matthew Ellis. Are you responsible for that, or is that, again, a Marcus McFeely thing? That was scripted, I believe. I think they but, may have yeah. referred to him since uh, Iron Man as Matthew Ellis. Not, not yeah. in the movie, but in their yeah. script. Oh, so yeah. I think that yeah, was exactly. just uh, something that we um, inherited. There are a couple of things I just wanted yeah. to talk about very, very quickly as well with you guys is the return of, of Peggy. Yep. Um, was that something that was, that was debated uh, quite a lot and, and having Haley come back uh, in the modern day? Uh, it's a lovely, lovely scene, especially when yep. she forgets if essentially who Steve is. The emotional impact of Steve going to the Smithsonian every day, I presume every mm-hmm. day or, or yeah. fairly regularly to yep. see her right. in her, her heyday. Um, so was there a talk about leaving it at that or, or was she always going to be... It was important to actually have her in the movie, not just sort of uh, in a film from the past. But um, because of this, we the one thing we really... It, again, this movie is the first movie, even though Cap was in the Avengers, it was an ensemble. We didn't get a lot of time to really sink into his story. So this movie is the first time where we're really sort of sinking into the meaning of what it means for this man to have been transported 70 years from his, from his era. And... Um, it's just, it's a very profound and tragic experience in many ways in the sense that like we all, we all have had experiences where we lose somebody that's important to us. Well, he's lost everybody that's important to him. Um, and we, we didn't want to like leave that part of his, his, his story behind. And it's always easier to play something dramatically when you have a character, you know, that you can bounce two characters up against each other rather than just looking at a screen thinking about something. So, so for that reason, it was very important to us to, uh, to have her in the movie and to have Steve visit her and that sort of, and see, see what's left of their relationship and mm. see what's left of their friendship. And it's, and, it's unique to the mythology of this film. Only in yeah. this movie, we have a character who was frozen for 70 years. Could you then have him, uh, you know, talk to his old girlfriend who is now, you know, 96. Uh, and you know, there's great pathos in it. And the whole first act is about him searching for an identity in the modern world. And he goes to her as uh, uh, you know, sort of a meeting with the mentor mm. to um, to get uh, to get advice about you know what to do with his life. Yeah. Well, the, the last line of the first Avenger just killed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in fact, Steve saying you know well, well, I, I couldn't you know miss my best girl. Right. Uh, that was just I that, still that, that broke me yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. When I ordered that, uh, that broke me as well. But um, in terms of uh, moving on with Steve, and there's great chemistry between Chris and Scarlett in this movie. Was there ever talk about making Cap and, and Black Widow and an item. I mean, obviously you have the, the Sharon character played by Emily Van Camp as well, and 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 Falcon is another interesting possibility yeah. for a romantic right. relationship. Yeah. Um, that was, was all Mackie, by the way. <laughs> that was uh, great. That was never implied in the script. That <laughs> was just Anthony. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, look, we definitely spent a lot of time thinking about what the possibilities were in the relationship between Cap and Black Widow. And we went through, you know, months and months of sort of playing with different ideas. But at the end of the day, it just sort of seemed like this is where where it is in the movie is kind of where we were all led us and and Marcus McFeely and the producers. It just it, it felt like the right right way those two would sort of be able to connect to yeah. one another a lot of times you let in this in you know when you're working on the story you go all right well what what's the left uh turn here what's the what's the curveball i mean yeah. the obvious uh uh you know when there's sexual tension between two characters the obvious is that you know something's going to happen well what if these two are smart enough to know it would never work between the two of them and, mm. it's, and you know so it really plays in a more of like a work wife work husband relationship yeah 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 uh, and uh and you know yeah of course there's sexual tension between them but i think it's just uh it's it's more. Uh, uh, I think she's more interested in in pulling him into the into the modern world, uh, um, and and trying to um, you know help him to find that identity that he was mm. looking for. For example, if this was a, an eighties action movie, there would have been a, a mid second act sex scene. Right. <laughs> yeah. That would have been inevitable. Yeah. Slow motion, billowing curtains, maybe yes. some doves in there. Who knows? Which we did right. We should have shot. <laughs> you will, uh, that scene, by the way, will be included on the DVD as a bonus. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe Falcon just flying around the room in slow motion. <laughs> but uh, the, the movie itself as well, as well has been from a very early stage called The Winter Soldier. And it's, it's very interesting because The Winter Soldier isn't really the main thrust of the story. Right. Uh, was Can you talk about that decision? He's the emotional this? thrust of yeah. the story, right? He's not the narrative thrust of the story. And, uh, um, you know, we, we did want a larger concept at work. And clearly, mm. you know, in order to bring down... Shield. We had to involve a conspiracy. We had to have a conspiracy. Sol- soldier. Winter Soldier is a soldier. He's mm. a you know he's a frontline guy. Uh, he's a he's an as he's referred to in the movie an asset or a weapon. Yeah. Uh, he's not necessarily the uh, you know he's not the brains behind a uh, you know a conspiracy. So um, it just was a, a function of uh, of you know the structure of the film and and uh, the paranoid thriller that uh, that we had this vicious weapon you mm. know that they would unleash mm. but you know ultimately um yeah he's not the he's not the narrative focus mm. however he you know the movie turns on the emotion between he and cap and you know uh, um you know probably our favorite scene of the movie is when you know cap's getting his face beat oh yeah by, by it's a soldier it's brutal yeah Absolutely brutal. at the end of the movie and um you know, and and he falls in and, and goes in the slow motion and you know becomes very poetic mm. and he gets dragged on the shore with a, you know just a piano mm. playing and yeah. you know that that to us that was the most important part of the movie to us. So you know, plot plot is is interesting, mm. uh, emotion is uh, is impacting. Right? Well, that, that, yeah, the, the stuff with uh, with uh, with Cap and, and and Bucky, as I'm going to call him, rather than maybe sure. uh, Winter Soldiers. Do you think of him by the end as Bucky, or do you think of him as Winter Soldier? Incidentally, well, that's a great question. Bec- you know, especially as we start to think about Cap Three, because um, you know it's it's sort of like uh, there's um, there's these interesting. Um, sto- I don't know if you remember the film The Searchers. Yes, but um, um, John, great John Wayne movie where about a uh, sort of settler who's kidnapped. By Indians in the American mm. West, and then sort of held for a couple of years, and then stolen back to the settlers. And that's a story that wasn't uncommon in the Old West. It happened several times, and you'd have this phenomenon where uh, the people who had been sort of taken, you know, when they were, if they were ever retrieved, sometimes they didn't know who they belonged to anymore. They didn't; their identities were kind of fractured, and they they weren't quite the person they were before they were kidnapped. And 
but perhaps they weren't fully, you know, Indian as well. So mm. they're sort of in the middle ground. And I think that's really analogous to like where Bucky is, you know, it's sort of, he's had, he's had, he was, he had an identity that Cap was, was best friends with. And then yeah. he went on to have a totally different anathema identity. Um, and it's sort of, is he that, is he Bucky? Is he, is he winter soldier or is he something in between? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, there's another analogy uh, for me as well. And uh, which is Darth Vader and Luke. Mm-hmm. In a, in a way, and uh, I think a lot of blockbusters since Return of the Jedi have tried to replicate that great uh, sort of, tr- I guess, triple battle structure at the end of, of Return of the Jedi. But few have come close to accomplishing it. I think you guys do it with Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the fight between Cap and, and Bucky at the end. Are you intentionally riffing on on Vader and Luke there? There's an, there's an awful lot, you know. A- absolutely. Look at we yeah. are. You know, it's it's funny. We're very similar to Kevin. You know, we grew up as pop culture geeks. We collected comic books. We love movies. I mm. used to spend my Saturdays watching double fe- feature of Hammer films and <laughs> Godzilla movies. And you know, so this is uh, we. You know, we're about as obsessive as it gets when it comes to pop culture. Just look at Community. Look at Arrested Development. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so for us, uh, literally in the first meeting we had with Kevin, we said, you know, you've got Star Wars on your hands. You've got a villain who has a strong and emotional connection to the heroes you could possibly have. They're mm. basically brothers. Like you know, they're basically mm. brothers. So it's very operatic. Yeah. Uh, uh, and to us, that was the, that was the crux of the film. Uh, um, so, you know, no, no, no doubt is there, you know, a, a connection because that was, you know, when I, when Empire Strikes back came out, I, I think I went to the theater at 11 a.m. and I left at 11 p.m. I watched it, you know, <laughs> eight or nine times. So it's, it's ingrained in our psyche and our subconscious. So of course it's going to find, you know, it's going to find its yeah. way into, um, you know, an execution of a scene that involves, you yeah. know, family that uh, one is, you know, one's a hero and one's a villain. Uh, but we also wanted that brutality in this movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we wanted that character to be vicious because Cap, uh, Cap is really Rocky Balboa. Right, he's a guy with a very simple code, who you just want to see win because he tries so hard to do what's right. Mm. Uh, uh, and the the more vicious the villain is, and the more brutal the stakes are, and the harder it is for him to win, you know, the 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 better you feel when he finally does win. Mm. Uh, so it was important. Not only was the Winter Soldier such an emotional, uh, um, uh, had such an emotional impact on him, but he also beats the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of the things that uh, you know the brutality of the movie, in, in, a, in a way, took me by surprise, and also the fact that the since the Avengers and including the Avengers, the last couple of Marvel movies have been very, very, very funny. They've been very jokey in, in, in terms of their tone. Tonally, this is very, very different. It's it's you know largely very, very serious. There are obviously comedic moments, but clearly that was what you guys were looking for from the off to to maybe stand out, I guess, from the, the crowd and make sure that this, this there's no Marvel formula so to speak, that you're falling into. Those are the things that excite us the most, as Ant said. We like combining genre. You know, Mm. it's the, uh, uh, you know, incongruous elements. uh, uh, We like smushing them together like Arrested where it's absurdism but shot realistically, you know? Uh, um, Because the movie is, is, you know, sort of is part political thriller and part, you know, superhero movie, but the, the political thriller part of it is you need real stakes. You need to feel like there's something scary happening, that there's something... Uh, th- there's a tone in this world where that that is y- that you can't joke around about. So any of the humor in this movie had to come from couldn't be situational. It had to come between characters. You know, it had to just be uh, character relationships. Yeah. Which sometimes when you are in tense situations, you know, humor between characters can be very fun and electric. 
because of the tense situation. Yeah. But I think that that's the tonal uh, shift that, that you're referencing there mm-hmm. is just this, the, the stakes of this world, the genre, the specific rules of these, this kind of narrative just require also, a more yeah. serious tone. We're, we're super fans of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know as a fan that if I keep getting the same thing sooner or later, I'm going to get sick of it. I'm going to grow tired Absolutely, of it, yeah. right? So you've got to start throwing some curveballs in there. And we just felt like the... You know the the tone of this movie. It was appropriate to to make the choice that we did, uh, uh, and and so why not push it as mm. far as we could? I've got three very quick questions. I guess we have to yeah. wrap up reasonably soon. But this is my friend, also called Chris, who <laughs> swears blind that there's a necklace worn by uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, which has an arrow on it. Would you care to comment on that? Uh, I think. Uh, the, yeah. Kudos. That's the first time we've got that question. So very, very you have a very observant <laughs> friend. Listen, I you know it was a, it, honestly it was a, a choice that Scarlett made uh, as a character, uh, um, and I think it will be uh, um, it will become clear uh, her relationship with uh, Hawkeye will become very clear. I think in Avengers too. Second question: Have you ever seen Condor Man? <laughs> I did see Condor Man. I haven't seen it for like twenty five years. Was it like eleven a.m. to like two p.m. Well, you know what's so funny about that is that um, in in my mind, when we when you know we knew we had the opportunity to bring the Falcon to screen, Condor Man was one of the things that popped in my head. I was like, this guy is not going to be Condor Man. We cannot do a movie. It's hard when you've got a new character and you're dealing with you know the Hulk and Iron Man and Thor. These really visually dynamic and impressive characters that are you know mind blowing special effects. And I'm sitting there in the movie going, all right, so now what? We're going to put a guy in a glider suit. Uh, you know, uh, that looks like he's from a glam uh, glam rock band from the seventies. Talking to birds, it's a, it would have been a disaster. So, on top of which, it wasn't germane to the tone of the film, which yeah. is why we took the ultimate approach to the character, where he's militaristic and you know it just seemed to fit into the world better. But also, we wanted um, you know we're talking about well, well, how can this guy match up? Mm. You know, what's going to make the audience excited about him and not go, eh, where the fuck is Iron Man? <laughs> um, you, we, we wanted to turn him into a human fighter jet, you know, yeah. give him this thrust and this grace and this beauty and he can move quickly and stop on a dime where Iron Man has to use his thrusters to slow down. Yeah. You know, he's got this, he's got this grace and beauty to him and he can weave in and out, uh, uh, avoid missiles, etc. Um, so that, that was the approach to Falcon and I'm just, uh, went on a crazy tangent, but it no, all started, no, it's it all started yeah. with Condor Man. Oh. Where, the, where the fuck is Iron Man? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the last knows. question. My final one is, yeah. um, did you watch the deleted scene from Avengers where you see Captain America coming to terms more with his past? Obviously he did, I don't know why I asked it that way. But you see he goes to the report of you know, his lost love who he wanted yeah. to dance with and she's died. And she's, right. she's died in Winchester in like 19... 19- whenever were you conscious to not ape that too much did you draw anything from that you know what's interesting is i don't believe we we did we didn't watch that scene until like after we had been working on the script for a little while right and we had sort of i think worked through a lot of our peggy issues and then i remember somebody at marvel said well you guys should just clock it you know and and we did um but yeah, I mean, I think the thing about whether she should be alive or dead just boiled down to this idea of like really needing somebody from his past to be alive for him to actually interact with and talk to. And that's, yeah, that's what the movie is about. This. You know, he's, he, as he struggles to find an identity in the modern world, uh, um, you know, his old life is slipping away. It's hanging on by a thread, mm. right? Pe- Peggy doesn't, you know, her memory's slipping away. She'll be dead soon. You know, it's the last remnant of his past. 
uh, uh, you know, and Sam happens to find his way into his life. So now he's he's slowly meeting a new friend. Uh, he's gaining a trust with a widow, you know. So he, the the movie's about a journey for him as he as he finds new elements in the modern world to to emotionally attach himself to, uh, and you know the the trick of the film or the you know the cool twist is or the cruel t- twist is mm. that you know the Winter Soldier shows up and and you know it's past punching him in the yeah. face. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Did you guys tell that it was Haley Atwell playing? Old Peggy. We, I, yeah. Well, I've interviewed her a couple of times, and her voice is very distinctive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, no, it's not just her voice. Yeah. And then I clocked the mouth. I think right. clocked it for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's astonishing, Mega. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, is there a bit of CG in there. It's actually well? it's yeah. all it's almost all CG. Yeah. Oh wow! We yeah. made the really? choice. Yes. Yeah. We wanted to do something different. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to try. You know, when you go down the makeup route, it kind of you know there's a way it's things have been done, but it's sort of like since. Everybody, all the old people look the same since the 80s when you get on the makeup route. So it's like we were trying again in, the, in a movie where you're making, a, you know, a Captain America, a 90-pound weakling in some yeah, scenes sure. and using the, uh, Chris Evans to do it. We thought, well, let's, you know, let's use Haley to, to do mm-hmm. old Peggy. And we went, we went a CG route with it. Thinned her. out yeah. her face, changed her muscle structure, all the things that would happen to you when you age. And Tiny Steve in this movie looks phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it was really it was great. phenomenal. Yeah, and, it looks uh, great. And uh, how about that, that that CG Stan Lee you guys had? That was, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. that was pretty impressive. He's yeah. not CG yet. <laughs> Enough said, true believers. <laughs> uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Appreciate it. Anthony and Joe Russo there talking to Ali and myself. And now it's time for us to get into it big time. So, first of all, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, me I've too. seen it three times. I saw it again uh, last night uh, with a with a paying audience who were really into it, including a little girl who at one point asked very loudly to the rest of the cinema, "Why is Captain America being arrested?" It's a fair question. It's a fair question. Uh, yeah, uh, it's quite complicated, actually, little kid. But uh, maybe one day we'll explain the whole thing to you. Maybe she's listening to this. So if you're listening to this little kid, this will give you the answer you seek. I guess this is a biggest Marvel movie in terms of uh, development phase two in terms of a uh, huge upheaval for the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of what happens to S.H.I.E.L.D. in this movie. Yes, I think that's true. I mean, I think Iron Man 3 had obviously huge implications for Iron Man personally. Um, Thor The Dark World, you know, had, had, had big upheavals in terms of Asgard, in terms of the Nine Realms. But if we're talking right here on Earth, then this definitely moves things forward and, and potentially changes things a lot more um, than either of those two. I mean, the, at the end of uh, Thor The Dark World, Loki has assumed control of the throne of Asgard. You'd imagine that will have major ramifications going on uh, into this. Into this, I'm not, It's not even a franchise anymore. It's, hmm. a, it's a series of... It's a, it's a hydra, it's, if it's you a, will. It's a hydra, yeah. Many, many heads. It's a living, breathing thing, almost. And um, But the fact that... I love the fact that Marvel are not prepared to maintain the status quo and they're they're shaking things up considerably. Uh, at the end of Iron Man 3, Tony Stark is Iron Man no more. Uh, although I've got a feeling he may get the armor back on for Avengers 2. Uh, there's huge upheavals at the end of Thor. But this is this is enormous. They spent a long time building up S.H.I.E.L.D. and then they've knocked it down again in one fell swoop. Apparently the guys in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, we, obviously we talked about this in the um, interview, were somewhat stony-faced, so I can see why. I can see why it is. It is just a. It is such a rejig. Uh, it's interesting. At the end, we we see that um, everyone's favourite, how I met your motherer, is now working. It looks like for the HR department of of Stark. Or at least she. I think she goes into the HR department to get a job in yeah, another department. Yeah, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She'll she'll be somewhere via there. I'm just curious to where she'll be. Like, is she going to be? 
I know a janitor. She's she, she going to be uh, in charge of She's alphabetizing sick of being a CDs. Janitor. Yeah, a furious janitor, as uh, Dan Jolin put in the review originally. I love that he misheard that line. I'm sick of being a furious janitor. Twice, <laughs> twice. Yes, um, it's it's also uh, fascinating if you go back now and rewatch all the Marvel movies uh, and all the one shots and all the episodes of Agents of Shield, and mm. you look at Jasper Sitwell, for example, Maximilian yeah. Hernandez, and you go, "Is he a yeah?" Is he a badden at this point? That they, you know, I, I haven't spoken to Kevin Feige yet about this movie, so I haven't yet figured out whether they knew all along that he was a badden or whether Senator Stern, played by Gary Shantling in Iron Man 2, was also Hydra affiliated, uh, which would explain... Which would explain why he was such a, a dick to Tony Stark. Exactly, of course movie. it would. Yeah, uh, I think that that's all become clear. I think actually this is a really good thing for Agents of Shield. I think one of the main mm. uh, criticisms of that show has been that it hasn't really grappled with the fact that with, with the, the kind of the grey nature of what Shield does. Um, you know, by the nature of it, because you have the lovely, lovely Agent Coulson in charge of that team, you tend to associate him with Shield, and you tend to think, "Oh, Shield is as lovely as Clark Gregg. How lovely!" Um, but now that you've kind of, if you if you kind of divorce them from that, and if you take away some of their kind of resources, I think it actually makes for a more interesting show. I think this could be a really, really good thing for the TV show as well as everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think it has perhaps force a TV show to become or maybe it will force a TV show to become what it maybe should have been from the off which exactly. is that they're this kind of rogue team or they're they're on the run or they're trying to uncover massive conspiracies and, uh, and my understanding of it is that the, the last few episodes have begun to swing in that direction but uh, yeah it would have been an interesting meeting the first time <laughs> going oh yeah so we're really looking forward to planning season 2 yeah about that guys uh, yeah it may not be a shield anymore. So you may just be kind of agents. Agents of. Yeah, agents of. Yeah, that could be that could be quite fun. I would like to talk about the actual plan from the perspective of Hydra. I think it's engaging because you see mm-hmm. what they're doing by casting Robert Redford. You feel for him, and you naturally are drawn to his perspective. He is Robert Redford. So what they want to do is to save the world. Is to kind of decimate it as in the actual meaning of the word decimate, you know, give it a haircut. The haircut they're cutting off, the hair is all the loveliest, nicest hair that can build robot stuff and is a threat to them, sure. But where they're coming from is almost believable. Now, I'm not saying I want to do this, but I thought that was interesting and brave and I liked it. Yeah, uh, Redford is a palatable face of evil. Exactly, yeah. And uh, the acceptable face as well, if if you will. And it's almost like Ed Harris's character in The Rock. He, there's a point where he says to Fury quite late on, "It's like our enemies are your enemies are our enemies, Nick." And uh, and he's 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 almost persuasive in that way. Going, "Oh yeah, actually, I can see that. You know, you know, cut off twenty million heads and none will grow back in their place. Well, yeah, that's fair enough. I can I can kind of see that. You have to, you know, break to, a few eggs to few make eggs. your omelette. Yeah, that's fine. Absolutely, hell, Hydra. Uh, and I think it's a it's a masterstroke in, in terms of casting Redford. And I think also in another way, it's um, that the uh, the Alexander Pierce character is very very interesting. And this movie politically is more interesting than any of the, mm. the previous Marvel movies, um, although they could all be seen to be post nine eleven movies. I think all the Phase two films. Pierce is an interesting bad guy because he is human. Mm. There's no, there's no flash or bang or or tricks or superpowers with this guy. Mm. Uh, he is. Utterly vulnerable. At the end, he gets taken out by two bullets by Nick Fury and not by not by Steve Rogers. Uh, given their relationship together, that absolutely makes sense from a storytelling point of view. But there were a lot of um, rumours early on when Redford was cast. There was a, an internet scuttlebutt that he might be revealed to be the Red Skull. Thank God he wasn't. And thank God, absolutely. Thank God he wasn't. Because this is 
uh, for all the, the fact that the the the, um, the big battle at the end involves three massive helicarriers duking it out in the sky above Washington. Uh, for all of that, this is a fairly low key movie. It's it's quite grounded, and I quite like the fact that the human the, the villain is human and fallible mm-hmm. and doesn't have any anything to fall back on in terms of in terms of that his 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 grandstanding at the end is entirely verbal yeah and i like also that there is that that nice you know that there's something interesting and seductive about the idea that hydra has been there all along now it does undermine slightly the awesomeness of agent carter for example especially if they go ahead and make that tv show it does undermine you know the job that nick fury's been doing like if he's really as good as he is he really should have picked up on something arguably before now uh, but at the same time it's it's at least interesting it's not just oh we've been building a robot army it's like oh we've been recruiting people actual people in your big giant organization and using your big giant organization to our own ends mm-hmm. which is a you know a little bit more real world than than many of the the villains that we face in these things but also if they go ahead now with the uh, agent carter tv show it could be about you know the the Hydra conspiracy beginning right under her nose, and yeah. does she un- does she begin to uncover it? There's, Presumably, yeah. There's bits of it she ferrets out, but she yeah, misses there, others. There are indications that Howard Stark is killed by Hydra, which yeah. is a new wrinkle. I think there's certainly areas for them to go if they do the Agent Carter TV sure. show. This is a film that it, it, we talked about how it compares to Iron Man three and, and, and Thor: The Dark World. This is a film where it references and feeds into everything else. It is there definitely a linchpin, right? So. The reference to Stephen Strange, that's Mm. a connection, that's a thread going out. You see uh, the Stark Tower, and obviously we talked about, um, you know, HR department. It has that feeling that I loved when I was, when you read the comics, of this all comes together. And we've talked so many times about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the movie that is the most, if you turn it into an adjective, Marvel Cinematic Universe, insofar as it takes all of it and makes it important. Mm. Which which makes me realise why Guardians of the Galaxy is such a clever move to do next, because it gives this breathing space to let all of that settle. Yeah. Everyone watches this, they come to terms with it. Season two of Agents of Shield, Guardians of the Galaxy, literally another world. Yeah. This is really important, and we've already made reference to what happened in Thor: The Dark World. But you know, you have to see this film. I said so in the review on the podcast. You have to see it if you care about Avengers two. Yeah. If you care yeah. about. The, yeah. the one thing that doesn't quite tie in in terms of that, in terms of that wider cinematic universe, is the the, the much commented on fact, uh, in the office at least, that nobody calls Tony Stark while this is all going down. Yeah. And I think the answer to that is shut up. I think, A, we have to get over that. He retired, right? There, you know, there's, there's a very specific thing now where the, the Avengers is the Avengers and that's the team movie and that's where people will, will show up. You may get the odd thing like Chris Evans showing up very briefly in Thor 2 or Mark Ruffalo showing up as Bruce Banner right at the end of Iron Man 3 and that's great, that's fun and, that, and that's all we're going to get. We're not going to get team-up movies. And also, frankly, in the context of where this movie sits, yeah. if this is after Iron Man 3, there's not a lot Tony exactly. Stark can do about it. At exactly. The so, hey, hey, Tony, I'm in trouble. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, what well, do you I, want me to do about I, it? I, 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 don't, I don't have any suits. Loan you some money or... Yeah, precisely. So I bought that. Yeah, well, I just kind of let you know. There's, a, there's Tony Stark does appear in the movie, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you see his little silhouette in the Stark Tower as the and then the sequence where Hydra's preparing to launch uh, Project Insight. They're preparing to deploy the algorithm, which is my favorite line <laughs> of 2014 so thus far. Deploy the algorithm. Uh, must have spent hours in the writing room in that we, one. We should have asked Professor Brian Cox about that. 
Yes, we well, should. Tell us, have you ever deployed an <laughs> <Yeah>. algorithm? <laughs> well, I was deploying one just a few hours ago. Uh, I, I, yeah, I love all the references to this. I'm a Marvel geek. I, I grew up reading this stuff. You know, and quite often you read classic Marvel comics, Stan Lee Marvel comics, from the you know Stan Lee written Marvel comics. The uh, the mentions of other characters are so gauche. They're they're purely to drive people to pick up the next issue that's on sale. And so on and so forth. But uh, here, I just love the fact that everything feels interconnected. Like there is a throwaway me- reference of Stephen Strange, which is great. I love that. There's constant references to Bruce Banner. There's Stark is building, is is assisting Shield's tech. Which yeah, I just love all these. Little, it feels like a real lived-in immersive universe in a way that the glib reference to Metropolis in Batman Forever didn't. What I loved about the Tony Stark reference in terms of the engines is obviously a big part of his arc uh, of the second act of Avengers as him being trapped inside one. So it genuinely does really connect. It's not just a throwaway thing. As you say, it really does fit together. One thing I do want to talk about that I didn't buy and I I was frustrated by was what they did with Nick Fury. I felt like it was too easy. I felt like it was a little too simple, a little too neat. Not that I didn't like the flourish. I liked the cloak being removed. But I have watched the Avengers quite a few times now. And I would like someone to possibly stay dead. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this. I think what comics have been doing for years. There's a there's a, a much quoted line about comics, which is that nobody stays dead. And it used to be qualified by except for Uncle Ben. Um, it, it kind of that kind of got lost after Ultimate Spidey. But yeah, nobody stays dead. And it's it's something, it's a problem for the form. It stops the form growing. It stops the form from being fully mature and, and, and reaching, I think, the poten- some of the potential that it has. There have to be real stakes. Agreed. Um, you can't just kill somebody and have them come back two months later, either probably super-powered, uh, in, in, in the cases of most men anyway, and just through science or something. It's 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 kind of crazy. And I think you're right, Marvel is at the point where they need to kill somebody we care about god that sounds awful and and keep them dead narratively I, speaking yeah i agree with that I mean, my wife for example doesn't watch agents of shield she didn't know we were having a discussion last night after seeing the film and i was like yeah i think one of these deaths has to really stick really stick and mm. i mean a major character death i mean we'll talk but frigga for example from thor the dark world she's dead she's staying dead that's that's fine but she's a relatively minor character within the whole the whole uh, fun, uh yeah the, the wider universe within yeah. the firmament yeah but uh, my wife didn't know the coulson had come back for example so ah. she didn't know he was still alive. So I think for a certain amount of the movie-going audience, he will still be dead unless he shows up in Avengers too. But I think absolutely, I think um, I think these these deaths have to have meaning and impact. Loki in Thor: The Dark World is interesting because it's very quickly revealed to us, the audience, that he's not dead. At the end of the movie, only two people in that uh, in that world know that he's still alive. One is Loki, the other one is Odin. Wherever he is, and uh, so that's interesting from a plot point of view. That's very very mm. interesting. Th- this. The Fury thing, I don't know. When I saw the movie for the first time and not really knowing that much about it, I wasn't on set of this one. When he is shot, I thought, oh, this this could be interesting. Yeah. This could be interesting. If they, if he dies here, and I, part I thought, of me was actually willing to, to go with it. This is brave. Me this too. is bold. I wanted Captain America to get a promotion. Colonel America. Yeah, I mean, it's about time. It is about time. He's 95, for God's sake. What sort of salary does he get? He must have a great pension, like yeah. a real cracker, like being well, paid both wages and a pension. He's got, he's got a decent uh, apartment, I guess, in Washington, so he's doing all right. I like, actually, just to talk about Captain America himself for a moment, I like that he's very much a soldier. I sound really bloodthirsty today, but I like that he kills people. Mm. Um, you know, if, if they need to be killed, if they are in the way of his mission, 
he does kill people. Now, he doesn't set out to kill people. If you look at that fantastic opening sequence on the boat, he those are actually, I think, uh, as a non-expert, mostly disabling blows that are knocking people out. But some, does, several of those people are clearly killed. <laughs> he does kick a guy in the ocean. He does kick a guy a in the ocean. freezing cold yes, ocean in the exactly. middle of the night. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, he, he, if he can disable them and they're going to slow him down, he will kill them. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's good because he's meant to be a soldier. He is not yes. meant to be Superman. Not even meant to be Batman. And my slight hesitation in, in saying all of that is I think in a similar way to Superman, his, his job is also to save people and therefore allowing the, uh, the, the, the gigantic battles over the Potomac uh, and over Washington at the end is perhaps something that he might have tried not to do. You might have tried to move those things out over the bay a little bit further. Maybe, but he wasn't in control of them. He wasn't in control of them. He I know, but, you know, it's it's one of those things. No, but I, I, like, I like the film's attitude towards Steve Rogers, and it's a very, as we talked about, it, it's, it's more politically complex movie than, than mm. any of the previous Marvel movies in terms of also reflecting America's place in the world. Uh, it's really interesting conversations you wouldn't expect to have in a comic book movie that's as glossy and bright as this. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Pierce says to uh, one of the World Security Council members, what happens if, what would you do if some terrorists from Pakistan invaded Mumbai and dragged your daughter into a football stadium and, and, and executed her. What would you do then? And that's a very complex question that I didn't really expect to be addressed. And it's like, yeah. okay, this is this is this is different. This is and uh, this is about an old an old school soldier from the from the greatest generation, as as Nick Fury says to, to Steve Rogers early on in the film. The greatest generation, the guys who grew up very idealistic, good versus evil, black and white, good guys and bad guys. And then he's grown up in a much more complex world, a much more uh, politically vitriolic world and much more volatile world and uh, it's it's fascinating to see how this character navigates his yeah. way through it it's also worth saying that he is idealistic even by the standards of the greatest generation that's mm. one of the reasons that he became Captain America that he yes. was chosen for the for the super soldier serum um <laughs> And I think that's really interesting. You've got this super idealistic guy thrust into this incredibly grey situation with the greyest organisation possible. And and that, that naturally makes for something much more interesting. People who have said that, that Stephen Rogers isn't interesting in this film, I think, are demented. I think they're just not even thinking yeah. about the situation that he's in. I think it's fascinating. They're not taking anything he says of face value. There's a really interesting scene uh, where he goes to visit Sam Wilson, who later becomes a falcon, as you know. Uh, at the FIA uh, organization where he works, and they just have this conversation about what it's like being a soldier adapting to the post-war world, that post-war environment, and they start talking about what you know. Sam says, "Well, what makes you happy?" and and Rogers goes, "I don't know." Yeah. And then he says it with a Chris Evans twinkle afterwards. So you kind of you know, give him, but Cap actually, the, the Steve Rogers is in a fairly dark place. Yeah, as he would be. You know, everything he knows is everyone he knows is dead. Everything he knows is lost. He's been dislocated uh, through time. And the scene of him with with Peggy as well is is for, for similar reasons kind of heartbreaking. Another thing just about his idealism that I noticed on the second viewing of this, uh, Cap doesn't ever lie. Even when he's talking to Alexander Pierce and he's trying to hide what. Uh, Fury said to him. He absolutely tells the truth. He doesn't tell the whole truth, but he absolutely tells the truth about what Fury said. He just doesn't, you know, mention that he also gave him a disc, for example. And I think that's really interesting, again, and just in terms of his moral code and his um, pl- kind of place in the world, mm. um, is that he, he can function in S.H.I.E.L.D., but he doesn't actually give up his own morality to do so. I'd like to quickly talk about Black Widow here because some of what she does in the film I thought was great. I loved her relationship mm. with Nick Fury as the kind of, look, I'll actually get down and dirty and do this. He might be your bright-eyed boy, but I'll go and get the files. I liked her relationship with Captain America where it's obviously they know that nothing's going to happen and that doesn't mean that they can't have some kind of flirtation, obviously, because they have a connection, but not in the way that maybe you might have saw when you saw the pap photos of them kissing on the uh, escalator. 
Right, so that's good. But what really, really frustrated me, and I brought it up as a joke with the directors, with Anthony Russo, is that that Jenny Agatha face swap thing pissed me off. And even more than the Nick Fury dying or not dying thing. I can believe that within the science. But if we live in a world now, if we are now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we are in a universe where Loki, sure, he is a shapeshifter, he is a Loki, right? He's the god of mischief. She can just look like another person. That really, I think, undermines a lot of potential things. I think it is going to maybe bite them in the bum a little bit later. First of all, Jenny Agatha, British audience, I think, were like in the room I saw it in. Hundreds of people are watching it with me and they're all going, wow, yes, oh, God, yes, bam. She suddenly whips out a can of whip-ass. Throwaway gag. I don't think it's going to come into play that much. She, she's a super spy. Yeah, but who's to say she hasn't done this before? But this is kind of what I mean, is that this will be, you will have a situation, I think, in further films where you go, well, we need to get into him, what are we going to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, why don't you just wear a different person's face? Maybe, but... Maybe it's expensive. This. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's expensive. Maybe it is. Maybe, it's, but also it's Mission Impossible style stuff. It's spy stuff. I'm okay with that. What I'm glad Marvel haven't done so far is introduce the horrible idea of life model decoys. Although Stark does reference it in uh, in the Avengers, but, but to uh, humorous effect. Yeah, to humorous effect. But for me, that has you know, you're talking about people staying dead in comics. That is such a get out of jail free card over the last few years in the, in Marvel comics. It's like, oh, I'm dead. No, no, it's a it's a life model decoy. It's fine. Oh, he's turned evil. No, it's a life model decoy. Oh, it's boring. Well, here's, here's the other thing about Black Widow mm. is at the end, she has a tribunal and... Um, uh, that's yeah, that was a little bit of a hand wave. I have to say that whole ending of of sort of you're not going to put us in prison. It's fine. It's it remi- fine. It Don't worry a bit about of it. Iron Man three when it goes whoa, and suddenly they're showing you flowers in the corner of one of the screen, and then suddenly there's a <laughs> rabbit coming out of a hat in the other one, and they go and everything's oh no, the next one's going to be exciting. And I kind of wanted more of a like Captain America. I can see how he is detached from mm-hmm. that world, but but Black Widow has definitely got... She's got red in her ledger. She's, she's, yeah, she, her hands are covered in the, 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 the bloody stuff. And, yeah. and also, I mean, you know, they just destroyed X number of billions of dollars worth of equipment... Of everything. ...over the capital of the country. Uh, well, to be fair, over... Over the, Over the Potomac. Triskelia. Okay, fine. Yeah. But, so I don't think. But that big building comes but down. But that big right? building also would cost a bob or two to, yeah, to rebuild. Yeah, it's 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 a tax deductible. It's tax. It's fine. Wait, it's, it's fine. Wait, it's a write off. It's, it's a write off. Chris, ta- I think we figured out why you're. I think Chris, we figured out why you're not in charge of the government. No, That's it's fine. Point. It's fine, guys. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> I, but I, I did love. I did love um, uh, Black Widow in this. I thought she was. Uh, she was pretty good uh, throughout. She got stuff to do that wasn't just you know look pretty and look over your shoulders so we can see your tits and your arse at the same time oh, you so know there's there's I, I, i'm not complaining in that score either okay yeah it's there was fine. Yeah. and there was plenty of chris evans in a vest as well he was wearing a vest that yeah. was fine too <laughs> my wife actually there's no there's nothing as gratuitous as the chris hemsworth uh tits out scene in the through the dark world but <laughs> was, it, was when, that gratuitous i'd have to see it again <laughs> the, moment, the moment last night where um chris evans is in his vest in the falcon's bedroom talking to natasha <laughs> my wife made a noise she actually made a noise like like oh <laughs> I went what are you doing presumably it just reminded you of her her of you yes she went oh my word I didn't think there would be someone who would be less chiseled than you Chris she said to me no it was uh, yeah no he's he's all kinds of buff um, but yeah anyway where were we 
Natasha, I've, I've Black Widow. Yeah, Black she's, Widow. Yeah, she's amazing in this, and uh, you know, not not just because you know she handled all the action stuff well, but because I think we get a sense more in this movie of her sparkiness as well. She very much holds her own as a character, but also the fact that you know she's a very complex character in mm. a way. You know, there's that really interesting scene where she and Steve are driving towards uh, New Jersey, uh, and by the way, how come Hydra haven't figured out that that's where they're heading? If that's you know, there's the same when they go to the Apple Store and they plug in the uh, yeah. zip drive yeah. and then they track down the signal and they figure out the signal is going to New Jersey. So how come Hydra, who are so smart and so clever that they can have agents at that Apple Store within minutes, yeah. don't figure out that that's what they're doing. They're not, they're not trying uh, to... Shut f- up. Try, try, yeah. more, anyway, more than that, if that's where the, um, uh, the bunker of all the tech and the 70s things, whatever, here's a top tip. Mm-hmm. Put any form of defence in front of it and that's a good idea. Like a turret, maybe some a laser room, or uh, yeah, or, or video camera. Ah, but you see, Zola was probably in charge of all that himself, genuinely, uh-huh. and let them through so he could gloat like a big Nazi. Yes, well, yeah. like a tiny little Nazi, I'll, actually. But you know what I mean. I'll accept that. Is he a Nazi? He's not a Nazi. Is he? He's a he's a Hydra. He's a Hydra. They were, they were super Nazis. He's a Hydra spanner. <laughs> he's a spanner, isn't he? Uh, he is a spanner. Anyway, Black Widow, action. Good well, scene. The car driving. There, uh, there's a really interesting scene where they're driving towards New Jersey, and she says, "You know, they're talking about can he trust her? What sort of, you know, what sort of person is she?" And she turns to him and goes, uh, "Who do you want me to be?" Mm. I was like, "Whoa!" Again, quite an interesting idea. It doesn't fully addressed, but this idea that you know there, there isn't really a Natasha Romanoff. Not really. There's a series of you know smoke and mirrors and deceptions uh, I thought it was really interesting if, uh, and if she gets her own solo movie down the line that would be really interesting to see can they construct a character can we find out who the real Natasha is um, I, I believe Avengers 2 we'll see a lot of that explored as well also Avengers 2 will explore where Hawkeye is uh, we're wondering oh where's Iron Man but really who's the person who actually works in S.H.I.E.L.D. and is a very good shot and is you know essentially Black Widow's best buddy yeah he's yeah. probably maybe no. been... training Katniss <laughs> for the Hunger Games 3 yeah. I don't know I flat out asked the Russo brothers in a video interview which you can see on the website and I said where is Hawkeye probably preparing for Avengers 2 that's not an answer that's a cop out it is a cop out that's it, a cop out essentially what they said to me is that within Avengers 2 it will be revealed where he is now right. can we talk about the um, we can talk about whatever you want please can yeah. we talk about the final not the final credit sting but the main credit sting oh we, we move in there and we go in there well I just, want, I just want to ask about that because we're talking about Avengers 2 and I'm talking about yeah. where is Hawkeye right mm. now and we have this ending can I, I, the risk of revealing my ignorance too much what is going on there alright my understanding of it is that this is a Hydra base of some kind, and we meet Baron von Stucker, who played by Thomas Kretschmann, who is a classic, not that classic, but who is a traditional Captain America bad guy. Hydra still have Loki's scepter, which yes. presumably was put into shield storage, and then Hydra got it because of their tendrils, and now they're using the energy from Loki's scepter from the first Avengers to carry out experiments on people that will turn them into superhero, superpowered beings, uh, and most people have died in that those experiments save two and the two are Pietro and Wanda aka the twins aka yes Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch I did not work that out at all that is very interesting to me it helps me you've seen it three times yeah (laughs) (laughs) Von Stugger even says so to to that effect do you see other people who have died no no. but they reference it in the dialogue he says uh, their bodies will be buried so deep even their ghosts won't be able to find them and they want to create superheroes 
to rival the Avengers for hi- for Hydra presumably. For Hydra, yes, right. I think the uh, the interesting thing about this is it's uh, it shows Marvel's economy again a little bit, uh, and I don't mean that in terms of their their penny pinching, but in terms of their storytelling, which is that their uh, their MacGuffins they're kind of reusing. We've already sort of seen in the credit sting to Thor the Dark World that the MacGuffins from both Avengers and Thor 2... The Tesseract. The Tesseract, yes, and the Aether Mm -hmm. are also giant mega meta MacGuffins. Yeah, the Infinity Stones. They are also the Infinity Stones, which are part of the Infinity Gauntlet, which is what Thanos, who's the guy we saw at the end of Avengers, (laughs) stay with me now, is trying to assemble. Hang on, start from the very beginning. So when when it says Avengers assemble, it literally means the Avengers are assembling a bunch of different MacGuffins so they can stick it into a glove that makes the big man go They don't want to stick it in a glove. Oh, right. They, They in fact, want to keep them as far apart as possible. That's why at the end of Thor 2, you had uh, Sif and... Fullstag. Fullstag delivered one of them, the Ether, to the collector who we'll see in Guardians of the Galaxy. He already has one. No, they already have one. Oh, yes, he already has one as they turn, but they didn't know that. Yes. But anyway, they're trying to keep them apart. And anyway, he's crazy powerful, so they're hoping that he can keep them from Thanos anyway. So it should be Avengers dispose of the MacGuffins, but. But you can't dispose of the MacGuffins, as we've already seen it through yeah. the Dark World. The Ether cannot be destroyed for reasons that... Uh, reasons. reasons. <laughs> I think the next movie should be called, in Britain at least, Avengers Disassemble. Yes. Two. Yes. Because the, then, then it would make more sense. It would make more sense. So what I'm saying is Loki's staff, which was just a thing to control the what's it in Avengers, mm-hmm. is now also a, a thing superpower. that creates stuff in Avengers yeah. 2. That's, that's economy. I, I am amazed by his staff. I think Loki should have been doing more of that long time ago if it had the power to turn people into super beings but anyway when you say Lucky Staff I keep thinking he's the owner of a small business <laughs> he, 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 I don't think he is the characters of the twins okay sure Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. and yeah. Quicksilver yes Elizabeth what? Olsen uh, is Scarlet Witch Aaron Taylor Johnson is Quicksilver they're about to play husband and wife in Godzilla and now they're playing brother and sister it's slightly icky let's hope they don't forget which is which boys and girls they're complicated aren't they Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch because these are the two characters that uh, these are two of the characters that Marvel and Fox have claims to so we're going to see Quicksilver in X-Men Days of Future Past a very different one played by Evan Peters also formerly of Kick-Ass but we're not going to see Scarlet Witch no, at least I don't think we are no she's always been more <clears throat> associated with Avengers I remember Quicksilver has turned up in more X-Men comics than Scarlet Witch Scarlet Witch has been very, very uh, closely associated with the Avengers over the years. A very odd character who at one point had a nervous breakdown and completely changed the entire Marvel Universe, which was a fascinating story. House of M and... uh, um, What's the second part of that? House of N? M from Magneto. No, but was the second one N? No, it's... (sighs) Hang on. <laughs> uh, House of um um. No, ha- there was House of Er. Uh, Fraser. Fraser. <laughs> no, sorry. This is re- this is really going to annoy me. Let me look it up quickly. Uh, the Jack built cards. Cards. House M D. Mm. First House M, then House M D. Okay, so in House of M and Decimation, she basically depowers ninety percent of the world's mutants uh, for reasons that are way too complicated to go into. <laughs> but she can basically change reality, and her powers are very near limitless. And so you get this uh, in that you had this big debate about 
can we should we and also can we kill her to stop her doing anything else because she's cray cray so she's a very very powerful figure she is obviously a mutant they are both the children of Magneto Mm. in the comics we're not going to mention that in the Avengers universe because Fox has the rights to that bit of their backstory what is she doing is it just telekinesis that we see in the room no she well she she changes reality whether that's the case in Avengers 2 I don't, sure it's unclear what we see from the film in the tiny she's, she's floating things right and possibly making them blink in and out of existence yeah she's but at the end she takes a block and crushes it in some way whether it, she makes it completely disappear or whether she destroys it who knows but uh, yeah she seems to be the more formidable foe they're being set up as foes mm. uh, for the Avengers uh, the pap shots we've seen or you may have seen uh, of the early stages of shooting on, on Age of Ultron from Italy uh, show them seemingly working with Hawkeye uh, unless he's turned bad again I imagine at some point they'll turn good because that's that's kind of their arc they started off as badens in the comic and then they became goodens but Pietro and it's interesting that actually they're, they're, they're being called Pietro and Wanda yeah. as far as I'm aware in Avengers 2 because in Daisy Future Past Pietro is Peter so they've changed that it's it's interesting that they're they're keeping well hopefully maybe keeping their personalities because Pietro in particular is a bit of a dick. He's arrogant. The world moves in slow motion for him. He's super super fast, so he just has no patience whatsoever, and he's very very cold and detached. So it's going to be interesting to see if that happens. And Scarlet Witch ends up marrying. <laughs> this is where it gets complicated. Strap yourself in, kids. <laughs> she ends up marrying the Vision, who's one of my favorite characters, certainly from a visual standpoint, who is an android created by Ultron. Okay, uh, who again starts off as a baden, but then becomes part of the Avengers, and they become one of the sort of sort of fulcrum couples, I guess, of the of the Avengers in in many ways. Uh, but uh, Ultron in the comics is created by Hank Pym, who becomes Ant Man, Giant Man, but that will not be the case in the MCU. We suspect it'll be Tony Stark who creates Ultron. Right, so that clears that up then. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it did, did it? And it we're thinking that Jarvis might be the Vision. That seems to be the way. The fact that Paul Bettany is playing the Vision and he has been the voice of Jarvis for four movies now would indicate that that's going to be yeah. the case. I, I like the idea that he makes the Vision and that's his Android. He goes, I'm doing really well with this because that's kind of, he can't build suits because he's been banned by Pepper from doing that. So he makes this Android <laughs> and that's becomes the vision right and then he goes I can do one better than accidentally create Ultron uh oh that's how I'd see it but oh, I'm not that's interesting but I'm not just that's I, interesting I also I hadn't thought of that I think it's quite interesting that they're shooting in South Korea they're shooting a lot of the first apparently the first section of Avengers Age of Ultron in South Korea because it is increasingly one of the biggest film markets out there uh, it's equal or just as big as the UK these days Fun facts. Fun Absolutely. facts from Ali. We should have definitely have a theme tune for your fun facts, I think. Fun uh, facts. Yeah, they're also shooting in Italy, they're shooting in South Korea, and they're shooting in the bulk of it over here in the UK. Ha ah, Praise God and God save the Queen. And uh, where else are they shooting? They're shooting in Johannesburg as well, so that's very fun. Another core uh, relationship in the film is Captain America and the Falcon. And do you know what? Like, I, I may have said this in, in the main podcast, but honestly, every beat of their relationship... <laughs> Is exactly like a romance, you know. <laughs> Seriously, the they've got a meet cute running along. <laughs> they, then they bond over some some spurious shared history, and then it's all like, oh, I'm in real trouble. I just turned up at your door because you were the only person I could think to go for for help. And he's all like, sure, use my shower. I mean, come on, yeah. people. And I think to I, us, it, it works well for together. just you know it, using that sort of shorthand to create a kind of a, a friendship quite quickly but honestly they are the couple in the film oh I'll tell you what else is interesting about the Black Widow relationship during that conversation in the car to New Jersey 
he does have she asks him you know was that your first kiss since 1945 and he says I'm 95 I'm not dead mm. which would seem to perhaps put an end to the is Steve Rogers still a virgin questions what's the answer then well, I'm assuming maybe not. At least he's kissed a girl, so let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and assume well, he, he got to. He doesn't say girl. Ooh! Does he? It's interesting, though, that he spends the entire movie turning down exhortations from Natasha to ask women out. The entire movie. Hey, it would be a great political statement if Captain America's gay. What, what about such and such from statistics? No, I'm not interested. What about such and such? What about your next door neighbour who's really, really hot? No, what about this? Of. What about this one-armed cyborg man who you have history with? Yeah. How the, about the dreamy him? Eyes he was looking hair. dreamy. Yeah. A lot said. of makeup, uh, eye makeup on. Can we talk about? Mm. I, I can't help but think of that Adam uh, Buxton sketch where he 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 shouts the phrase, "It's a fucking Falcon, Richard." Every, <laughs> every time, every time Falcon's on the screen, I actually love. I love his get up. I like the way they incorporated this real yeah. life bit of tech and how he's not obviously dressed up in a big red and white yoga suit as he calls it. And yeah. he doesn't actually talk to birds. That's a positive decision, I think. I I, <laughs> I, I like uh, Anthony Mackie. You've heard him on the podcast. So hang before. on, sorry, sorry. He's I a very funny to, guy. I just want to interrupt you there. So Captain America, yeah, turns down dates with girls throughout the movie. Yes, and the Falcon doesn't like to talk to birds. It's another clue. It's another, We've solved it, guys. It's another it's clue. It. Uh, yeah, let's certainly wrap that up. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I'm sure there was something else that we wanted to talk about. There yeah, wasn't there's, that. there's <laughs> loads of things. Yeah, the Falcon, his appearance. I've seen, um, there's not a lot of criticism of this film uh, on Twitter at the moment. A lot of people seem to like it. It's in the 90s at the moment on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that's a measure of anything. But um, one of the few things I have seen criticised about it is the Falcon's appearance which I really liked I think it's really good I liked his get up I liked his suit. what else are you going to wear if you're wearing a wingsuit and flying about the place I mean come yeah. on people and I thought the the effects were pretty good on the, uh, on the old falcon F- flying is notoriously difficult to get right it can often look cheesy in CG mm. but I, I really liked it uh, we mentioned the Winter Soldier the film is called Winter Soldier which is really yeah. really interesting wrinkle because I don't think it's about him the Russo said he is the emotional uh, antagonist in a way he drives the, the plot I think they could have maybe called it something else. Uh, having yeah. said that, I thought, what do you think of the character? I liked him. Um, obviously, I thought he looked hot, as I said. Um, but also, I think he's it's an interesting uh, setup, and, and the fact that they sort of can erase his memory each time they wake him up for a job is is an interesting one. He, you know, that sort of befuddlement on his face and that feeling that he should know this guy is is quite heartbreaking. And and of course, he does get the the kind of the last word uh, that post post credit sting. Um, is him going back to the Smithsonian and sort of looking up at himself and I think kind of beginning to put some pieces together that he didn't really have in his head. It was almost more of a setup, wasn't it, for for the next Captain America, really, in terms of him mm. than anything else. But um, but you, you've got to hope for a redemption for poor Bucky. Having said that, I uh, I really enjoyed the relationship. I, uh, Nick isn't here. Uh, Nick the Smithsonian isn't here, and. He, I think, in the office was more focal about the fact that he <laughs> didn't remember Sebastian Stan for Bucky from the first movie whatsoever. So, what? Yeah. He's not the first person who said that to me either. So he says whenever it was revealed at the end that the Winter Soldier was Bucky, he was kind of like, what? It's not, it's not a relationship I particularly remembered or cared about or was invested in, so it didn't have an emotional impact for me. And I think that's a fair point to make. 
Having said that, I think the movie does quite a lot of nice work in the last third to sell that emotional impact. And Chris Evans does some of his mm. best work uh, in, this, uh, in the scenes near the end where he's confronting Bucky and he's like, don't make me do this, don't make me kill you. And then at the end where he's completely passive and he's like, basically, you can beat me to death. I'm not going to do anything to, to, uh, to, to lay a finger on you. Um, but there's that really nice scene where they, in the 1940s after Steve's um, mother has died, um, and uh, you know, there's that repeated line I'm with you until the end of the line which they, he says later on it's just a nice little, little touch and that actually you know <clears throat> kind of mm, got me a little bit Aww. in a way that the, the Peggy scene got me as well you know that mm. this is a man who has lost everything and uh, you know he's confronted in a very real way with that loss when he's sitting next to CG Peggy I really wish they just got another old lady I, I love Heli Atwell I thought that was great look, look, I, yeah, that I, took we, me by surprise the revelation we, about the CG. we've had conversation about this and I I respect that you like it and I think that's great and I wish that I was into it mm. but I actually just it was peculiar her teeth were those false teeth fake thing and I know obviously that's what old ladies have but I found myself staring at different parts in her face and not actually listening to what she was saying well maybe it's because it's CG maybe you know, there's, a, there's an uncanny valley thing there that hasn't quite it hasn't quite got over but, I didn't um, know it was CG that's, that's the thing I think if you ask most people you'll say that oh, it's prosthetics or maybe it's another actress with Hayley Atwell's voice topped on the fact that CG it's pretty astounding watched it again last night knowing it was CG and could not see the joints well, really couldn't see the I, joints. I, I, I could for some reason, unfortunately. But anyway, that's my opinion, and, and I'm glad that other people don't. So that scene itself is, is interesting because even though it moves me, the idea at the end when she coughs and she's clearly 94, 95 herself, and you know, uh, she coughs and she forgets Steve and she's almost seeing him for the first time. And that's quite heartbreaking. But there was part of me that kind of wished they hadn't had that scene at all. There's, a, there's something really poignant about the idea that, that, that Steve goes to the Smithsonian. You'd imagine almost every day just to see his lost love on the, on, mm. on, a, on a video screen and, and when Natasha asks uh, who she is when she sees her picture in the base he doesn't respond and he, can't, he just doesn't even can't even deal with yeah. it um, it's yeah it's, I, I, I actually like the first part of the scene with her being sparky and I, I get why they have the second part where she forgets him um, that, that emotion of seeing him for the first time again um, but it kind of I wanted her to be a kick-ass old lady as well as a kick-ass young lady, I guess. So I sort of uh, almost, almost wished that they, yeah, they kind of hadn't had if that. If she had been a kick-ass old lady, then all sorts of thoughts of like, go on, just go for it, Steve. Oh my God, stop now. Would have your head. Certainly they would have entered mine. Um, lots of little uh, fun kind of Easter eggs and references. Uh, Nick Fury's tombstone is, yes. is a thing of abiding beauty. Uh Pulp Fiction fans will immediately have twigged. Basically, in, in the screening I was at with which with lots of critics, there was a lot of laughter at that. Um, but it is Ezekiel, is it twenty five seventeen, which he quotes in Pulp Fiction, which is mentioned on his tombstone, and that's wonderful. I think some of the fight choreography. You know, we're living in a uh, almost in a post raid world at the moment, and it it still does smack you in the face when you're watching an action scene and you clearly know it's not the actress involved, or they're they're still doing that juddery, quick cutting thing finesse some of the, the shonkier action and it's a bit of a shame the fight between Batrock and Captain America early on isn't as good it's as it could good. be no but I think most of the action is actually most really, of the really, really good. I think actually the, uh, the the assassination attempt of Fury uh, is a clear and present clearly inspired by clear and present danger and it's a clear and present danger level uh, action scene the scene in the lift is fantastic that's a great great fight scene uh, and I really like the stuff later on when they're on the bridge um, and it's Winter Soldier attacking all three of them and there, there's different things going on and you know, it's, it's it's good stuff I, I think the action in this movie is, like I say it's not choreographed as well as it could have been but it, it still delivers for me yeah me too George Seabrook 
you sent me a tweet saying that I should mention that this Boltrock fight was like something out of Street Fighter. So I have. <laughs> Fair enough. I can absolutely I can see why people might say that. Also, someone I don't know your name, sorry, but they tweeted the Empire account going yesterday saying, "How could Arnim Sola have brainwashed Bucky if he was captured on the same train from which Bucky fell?" Now that's an interesting idea because um, obviously you're thinking, well, it'll be, it's post-war sure. whenever he's insinuating himself into Shield slash Hydra, and he can go off and do his own thing, and that's okay. Oh, but he's frozen but for ages, right? He, you can say he's frozen for ages, but the movie does seem to strongly insinuate that it's almost immediate. Sorry, no, it, I think what they're insinuating there is that they did some of the preliminary work on Buff, Bucky, not Buffy, sorry, uh, when he was captured before. You remember that Captain America, prior to the train sequence, has rescued Buff, Bucky. I keep saying Buffy has rescued Bucky from a Hydra prisoner of war camp. That comes before the train sequence in Captain America in the first one. And it's during that time he actually finds Bucky in a room strapped to a a sort of table where he's clearly been experimented on in some way. We don't really know what it is at the time. The implication now is that that was the sort of first stages of his Winter Soldier training. So that's why he was able to survive the fall from the train. And then... um, and then was worked on by either the Soviets or the Germans or whoever the heck. Um, but so those those mm. archive pictures of Armin Zola working on him must have come from that time before Cap rescued him but in the, the first place. the flashback that Bucky himself has to Arnim Zola going, ah, Hello, Mr. Barnes, we will now cut off your arm and make you evil. Well, that, that would be the post stage once he's working with Hydra inside. But it seems to be just again. immediately after his fall. So there might be a slight okay, fine. thing happening there. But maybe, you know, we'll see. We'll see. If you ever get, you know, we'll, we'll, ask, we'll ask Feige. I'll see what he okay, says. Okay, he'll know all. He'll know. And maybe he'll go, shut up, you know too much, and then kill us. Uh, okay, right. So anything else? Anyone want to talk about anything else? The ending, I mentioned it on the uh, the interview with uh, Russo, uh, the Russo brothers. Um, you know, again, this has come in for a little bit of flack because it's something huge, but I quite like the fact that it's one of the, for me, it's one of the few movies of the last 30 years that actually tries to ape the Return of the Jedi uh, model of flitting between different mm. characters doing different things, and actually kind of succeeds. There are a couple of direct references to Return of the Jedi, obviously when Captain America and the Winter Soldier face each other, that's very Darth Vader versus Luke, and there's a bit of the Emperor in there as well, and there's a, there's a cut from the Falcon there's a cut from the Falcon in midair with lots of explosions around him to Alexander Pierce in the Triskelion watching the battle which is very very the Emperor watching the space battle uh, but yeah I, I, I quite like this stuff and there's enough character moments going on within all the big CG nonsense yeah. to, to make it work for me I agree um, again as, as well as needing to kill somebody and make it stick I do think that Marvel needs to at some point find a way to do a film where the big the the last act isn't the big giant fight scene I mean World War Z managed it so maybe there is there is a way to do that in a big action blockbuster without us le- without leaving us feeling left down by it um, but having said that I, I actually don't mind big action scenes in a general sense so while there is a risk of being repetitious and I think that's what they need to avoid um, this one wasn't a bad one Agreed. And we have banged on now longer than we intended to. Uh, but that's because I think, you know, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, we, we dig this movie the most, man. 
We totally dig it. Uh, which is a, a, a reference Captain America might want to write down in his little 70s notepad. His little notepad. Whether it's the English version or the Chilean version or the French yeah. version and the Spanish version. Cause that actually, all, that's stuck in my craw a little bit. They all have different versions. It's a publicity thing. And I, I kind of think it's cute. I kind of think it's weird. Personally, I'm varying on the cute side. It's nice that Sean Connery gets mentioned in a Yeah, but why movie. would Captain America be wanting to check out the World Cup final from 1966? Because somebody mentioned it once and he had no idea what they were saying. But he doesn't know what football is. Yeah, he has to look that up too. I'm not so sure about that. Anyway, there we go. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That is it for this spoiler special. The next spoiler special will be for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, we'll be having Avi Arad, Matt Tomac, and Mark Webb on that one as well. Uh, and then it's going to be followed by Godzilla and X-Men Days of Future Past. And then Mrs. Brown's boy is the movie. Uh, <laughs> until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Diddly. It's goodbye from Ali. Helen. <laughs> Helen. Ali. Ali. Hello. And it's goodbye from me. Hail, Hail Hydra. Hydra. <laughs>